Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. I got thinking the other day as I was organizing today's show. Isn't it strange how the Canadian government made June National Indigenous History Month and Pride Month at the same time. These are two of the most marginalized groups in the country. Both fight for recognition by mainstream society. Both face bias, scorn, prejudice, and unimaginable barriers. Both have long histories of battling for their hard-won rights. And the government has both groups competing for recognition in a month dedicated to recognizing them. It gets you thinking. Today's show is going to acknowledge these two unique communities in the county. First, there will be an interview with the leader of PFLAG's Northumberland chapter. PFLAG is an organization for members, family, friends, and others who belong to the LGBTQ2 community or support them. The impact of the pandemic has hit this community hard, causing a lot of anxiety, isolation, and hardship. Ashley O'Neill, leader of the local PFLAG chapter, will talk about these challenges and Pride Month 2021 celebrations. Here is my interview with the leader of the Northumberland chapter of PFLAG. I'm so pleased to have with me today Ashley O'Neill, the chapter leader of PFLAG, an organization for family, friends, and others who support the LGBT2 community. Welcome to Consider This. Hi, thanks for having me. The pandemic has been identified as being particularly difficult for people of the LGBTQ2 community. What are you seeing locally? Um, I'm seeing a lot of people that are struggling um, because if you already have maybe mental health issues and a lot of people in the queer community do, myself included, it's just an extra... um, something extra to deal with the the whole pandemic um lives are very different but especially again just kind of relating to the housing issue not being able to leave um situations where you might feel in danger so because of the stay-at-home orders people are have to stay in living situations that might be really detrimental to their um safety or well-being so again if you just want to use youth as a as an example especially not being in school or being with friends or maybe going to a friend's house or having an outlet where you can be yourself and you can be more queer, especially like in school. I find a lot of youth act a lot differently in school than they might act at home. They just don't have this freedom or liberty to get out and be themselves. And then they might be stuck in their living situations with parents or other family members that might might not be so accepting or accommodating um, to their gender identity or sexuality. The Public Health Agency of Canada identified a unique set of challenges to the LGBTQ2 community. 
One key issue was housing availability and affordability, especially for youth who may be forced to live at home with homophobic or biphobic or transphobic family members. As someone who works closely with youth within the LGBTQ2 community, what are you seeing locally? Um, locally, there is uh, an issue of um, affordability housing in Coburg um, or just Northumberland in general. The rents are extremely high. The availability is extremely low and it's making it almost impossible for anyone to be able to move out if they wanted to, especially if they're in a really precarious living um, position. It's really unfortunate too that our area doesn't really have any um, kind of crisis centers or emergency housing centers specifically for um, for LGBTQ youth. That would be really important. And I would actually like to see an initiative eventually um, get to that point because it's something that is really needed uh, in this area too, I believe. Now, I know that housing is not just the only issue that the queer community face. Uh, prior to the pandemic, the Queer community faced inequalities when it came to income, financial security as well. Again, can you shed some light on these areas and how it impacts this community? Yeah, of course. Um, so it is uh, well known that members of the LGBTQ community usually struggle with gainful employment, but I'd like to point out it's especially hard for um, trans or non-binary people to get gainful employment, and they've uh, their median income has always been well below the poverty line. So that is an issue. Um, it's just uh, really, really difficult uh, in this area also. Um, just job-wise, there's a lot of part-time, minimum wage paying jobs, um, which can be difficult, especially when, you know, I think the average rent of maybe a one-bedroom apartment is between 1500 to maybe $1,700 a month, if not more. Um, so on that alone, uh, you know, working part-time minimum wage, you wouldn't be able to actually afford an apartment in the town that you live in. Um, public transportation is also an issue. Um, the expectation, too, in a lot of jobs that you need to have your license is a big issue. Uh, and all of this um, is, you know, again, affecting people's mental health and well-being. And because we live in such a smaller rural community, the uh, support systems just aren't there. And um, I'm just really worried and concerned because I, I try to provide as much resources as I can, but we are, the organizations, uh, PFLAG that I'm in, we, we provide um, mental health services or support and counseling and just having um, pride events and just making sure that people feel um, accepted and welcome in their community. Now, EGAL, one of the leading Canadian organizations representing the community, reported that half or 52% of the queer community faced layoffs or reduced employment during the pandemic compared to 39% overall in Canadian households. Can you, under, can you help us understand why this is and why this has occurred during the pandemic? Um, yeah, that's actually a very interesting Statistic. I would say that I'm not surprised because it just, again, just seems that uh, queer people are usually at a disadvantage um, regarding any kind of, you know, employment, income, 
disparities, support systems, housing. Um, I'm not exactly sure why, because as from a legal standpoint uh, and a human rights standpoint, like there shouldn't be that disparity at all because, you know, um, LGBTQ people shouldn't be targeted specifically in their positions and, you know, be let, let go or laid off because of, of their, um, their sexuality or gender identity. So, um, it's really unfortunate. And again, it just puts, um, puts us at a disadvantage just because it's so much harder for people in the queer community. Like there's, um, as much as you don't want to, might, as much as someone might not want to believe that discrimination exists, it really does, again, harder to acquire housing, harder to get sometimes employment. And even though some, a lot of companies say that they are, you know, supportive of pride, especially during pride month, you know, a lot of companies, especially big companies change their avatar on Facebook to have like the rainbow flag, um, and say they're supportive and they put out a lot of marketing in June to say that they're supportive of the queer community. But I always like to ask them, are they really, do they have business practices that are indicative of them supporting the queer community? Do they support their queer employees? If a one of their employees who identifies as queer is discriminated against, do they take that seriously or do they try to brush it under the rug or do they end up, you know, eventually, yeah, firing them or laying them off because they don't want to deal with it. It's all uh, part of performative allyship, which I think really runs rampant in, um, in June during pride month through, through a lot of companies and whatnot. What sort of advocacy is going on in regards to this and, and what efforts are being made to change that landscape? I think um, there's really a push of supporting um, queer-owned or queer-friendly uh, small businesses and local businesses. That's something that I've been trying to do with PFLAG this month and I will continue to do is um, just if companies... Obviously, it's of the small business owners if they feel comfortable and are, do identify as queer and are okay with broadcasting that. I want to see a push in supporting the local um, local queer-owned businesses because it's really important to know what businesses are run by queer people, um, especially like all the... The Cobra Queer Collective is another organization that I'm involved with, and we sell... Um, queer swag like rainbow swag and like pride stuff and pretty much anything we can get and we always make sure that we source it from um queer owned businesses are you aware of the northumberland central chamber of commerce's initiative during this month to uh, have stickers and posters put up in businesses locally that say they are inclusive Yes, um, I was contacted by someone from the Chamber of Commerce actually to write um, a statement about that and uh, I was happy to see that this initiative is happening because it was similar to an initiative I tried to start in the downtown Coburg around 2015 by putting rainbow stickers in doorways because I noticed um, when I 
went to Toronto, a lot of businesses did that. And it just made me feel safe when I saw a business that had a rainbow sticker in the doorway. And I think it's a really great initiative for the Chamber of Commerce to do because it's really important, especially in rural communities, that people who live in these communities or maybe visiting these communities know that um, the businesses that they or businesses and establishments that they frequent are, are providing um, a safe space for them. Have you ever been in a local business or uh, a local place where you have felt unsafe or you have felt threatened? Can you share a story? Um, I'm just going to take a moment to think about that. Actually, uh, yes, but it wasn't regarding um, sexuality, interestingly enough. It was, um, I won't say what the business is, but it, I was in a, a a retail business and um, the comments of the person working at the cash was that actually became really racist. Um, they, the person in particular didn't like the type of people that were moving into Coburg now. And they thought Coburg was becoming too urban and it really, really put a damper on um, my shopping experience and it really wasn't something that I wanted to listen to. I was on my lunch break at the time and when I got back I was just in a really bad mood but it at the, uh, this was over a year ago and it made me realize that there's still a lot of work to be done um, you know whether it's queer representation or just coming from an anti-racist or anti-oppressive framework um, I would like to see more being done by local small businesses to kind of counteract that because I don't really want to go into a business if I'm going to hear some um, really hateful comments. I'd like to go back to something you've alluded to earlier in our conversation, and that is mental health. Now, recent studies have been done by the University of Toronto have found that the LGBTQ2 community reported poorer mental health and higher substance use before the pandemic. They were also known uh, to have higher suicide rates among this group as well. Now, key concerns were raised in the study as the impact of isolation and the anxiety and the depression and exclusion that ta has taken place during the pandemic. What has your group done to combat this? Um, so our group uh, had to make a shift of our meetings from being in person to um, just providing virtual meetings. Um, and it's been really difficult because I think a main component of helping or assisting those in the queer community, especially with their mental health and what our organization does is having in-person meetings. It's important to get out, get out there. It's nice to be surrounded by um, people that are like-minded or being just present in a space that's non-judgmental. Um, but that being said, I do like the positivity of a virtual meeting in the sense that it's more accessible because at the same time for all the people that want to come out and be in person at a meeting, there's lots of people who might not feel comfortable being out and in person and would rather maybe sit behind their computer screen and just be present in a virtual world where you don't have to even, you know, you don't have to use your real name. You don't have to put your camera on. I, I would never demand that of any type of meeting that I have. I mean, we all, we're all on Zoom calls all the time, and I'm sure there's lots of people that don't like being on camera. I don't really like it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so we, we provide and we will always provide mental health services to the best of our abilities. Um, I do have a background in counseling. I've 
been facilitating the monthly meeting for PFLAG since 2016. It happens on the first Thursday of every month. I just want people to know that there is help out there if they want. They can always contact our Facebook page. I'm always on my phone. Um, as If someone just wants one-on-one counseling, that is something that I can do. Uh, but it would be, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I would love to see um, government step up because I think post-COVID, mental health is going to be like one of the top um, health priorities. And um, I actually just saw uh, information today that the Northumberland County like Counseling Services, I might have the name wrong, so I apologize if I do have hasn't gotten um, more funding so unfortunately they'll be closing by the end of July and that's just another kind of kink um, in the chain here because you know they're now we a service that was providing counseling for many people is not going to exist in about a month and that's not fair especially for the individuals who are utilizing those services because now they're gonna have to scramble to find alternatives so um, Yeah, I think moving forward, mental health support is going to be of the utmost importance in a post-COVID world. For people who might not fully appreciate just what some of the challenges that people, uh, queer people face, there have been reports in the news media about the kinds of uh, prejudices that uh, young people face. One in particular was on BBC where a young person was living at home with a very conservative religious parent who was very hostile towards him. Can you share any anecdotes with us without breaching privacy that might illustrate the conditions some queer youth in Northumberland are facing? Of course. Um, for like, So for the last few years that it's been on, I've been asked to facilitate a mental health sharing circle through the Raise Your Voice Youth Conference, which is done through um, local school boards. And so I will say for that, um, a lot of youth there do still struggle with their sexual identity or gender identity. And what I've come to find is that a lot of their parents aren't really accepting and, um, or they really struggle with their home life. And again, it's, there's not too many supports, I believe for youth, um, especially LGBTQ youth, because just having a place to go or someone to talk to um, would be really beneficial for them. Like I, as much as I dislike, you know, telling students not to come out, that's a personal choice too. Like you don't have to, if you don't feel like it, but if it's especially because your safety, like they, these students want to be more themselves or want to explore their sexual uh, sexualities or gender identities. And then they're in a space where they don't feel comfortable. That can be really difficult. And my heart goes out to these students um, just because, and a lot of them, especially from religious backgrounds and things like that. So it was, it was always hard to hear those stories, but at the same time, a lot of them were so strong and so smart and very well informed. And, um, it does, it does give me hope for the future that there's so many youth that are, that are woke as they say. And it's just, um, as much as, it's difficult. I have read studies that say like, you know, whereas 
me being a teenager in the late 90s and early 2000s, like teenagers now are just more encompassing uh, of sexual uh, sexualities and gender identity than like they were in the 90s. So like even though like there's a more open space now, um, which is great. So that's good for positivity. But at the same time, um, like home life can can be really upsetting. So it's interesting that we're creating positive spaces publicly, but I think we need to work on creating positive spaces um, privately as well. There are cases where it can be dangerous for these young people. Um, and we read about that. Is that really true? Is it is it really that dangerous for some people uh, to be at home or to be around family? I think so, um, and and that's the sad thing, and that's why I I believe having um, kind of like uh, an emergency shelter specifically for youth would be helpful because. Um, sometimes it can lead to um to violence and you know whether it's emotional verbal or physical um and it's just i think it would help a lot of youth to feel better and probably ease their anxieties um if there was a place that they could go locally even if it was just a few days like i still hear stories not as many but like still hear stories of people kicking their um kicking their their children out who have either come out to them or just, you know are um looking into different gender identities just because their parents uh or caregivers might not understand what they're going through but that's again one of the things that PFLAG works on is helping friends and family of lgbtq people kind of understand what it means you know to be lgbtq what it means to have um you know, gender fluidity, what it means to be looking inside yourself and figuring out who you are, like, that that's really a positive thing. It's not negative. And, um, and it's, it's always difficult, but it's much harder on, on the queer people, like when they're, when their families aren't accepting just because it's coming from a place of most of the time of ignorance. We've talked a lot about young people, but what about the parents and the family and the friends? Where can they learn more or get support? Um, they can definitely contact our page because um, our meetings are open to not just LGBTQ people, but also um, parents, uh, friends, and fa family of LGBTQ people that are looking for maybe answers to their questions or maybe just looking for a space where they can immerse themselves in kind of like a queer culture and um, see like just the type of fun that we have like or coming out to events but again events have been really hard to orchestrate in the last um, year or so because of COVID but we still like do our best and try to have an online presence and um, I'm starting to like develop more kind of webinars or things that are specifically targeted to um, certain issues like right now uh, recently I did one I've been doing one about pronoun usage which I think is really important um, because just using someone's prefer, um, pronouns and, or and their um, their new names is really important and can really help the mental health uh, of an individual who is um, expressing their gender identity or trying to figure out um, their gender identity and whether it changes um, 
frequently or not, it's just it's just being respectful to the individual and um, and encompassing and welcoming to their to their expressions. For those who may not understand what you're talking about when you talk about pronouns, could you just give us a basic outline of what that is? So, yes, I can. So usually when someone is um, experimenting with their gender identity, they might change their pronouns. So they might, you know, if they were he, him, they might identify as she, her now. Um, or there's a multitude of uh, gender, um, gender neutral pronouns uh, as well. It really depends on the individual why it's always um, appropriate to ask someone instead of assume what their pronouns are and what I'm seeing too is spreading the word of pronoun usage is just making sure that it's normalized just to introduce yourself with your own pronouns. Like now you might see if you, again, go to a function or I guess I see it a lot in zoom calls, like someone will have their name and then I do this as well in brackets. I have my preferred pronouns or when you're doing a meeting and you're introducing everybody, you also include your pronouns. Um, and it's just, it's good to just normalize that because that is a, for some reason, it's a point of contention for many people where they, um, they just don't want to, because they don't want to use someone's pronouns because, uh, they don't want to use someone's personal pronouns because they, this person feels like they shouldn't be doing that when it's just easy. It's hard. I will say it's hard if you've known someone and their pronouns change and you might mistakenly refer to them as um, as different pronouns, but you can easily remedy that situation and um, just moving forward, just make try to make the initiative to change. Uh, I understand it from that point, but it's really important to an individual just to use the, the per, uh, personal pronouns of their choice. Can we talk about Pride Month? It began with the usual items, you know, the flag raisings, the rainbow crosswalks. What has it been like trying to commemorate this part of our community in the face of the pandemic? What's been different? Um, it's been different because, again, it's one thing I always liked about Pride was just like putting on a lot of events. It was wonderful seeing people coming out and talking to them and dressing up and just having fun. So it's really hard to do that on a virtual level. But at the same time, you know, we can we can do what we can. And I think um, it's important to still kind of be present. But yeah, like it, it was really hard for me personally to get into the spirit of pride this month, even though there was a lot of great initiatives going on and a lot of, you know, um, local municipalities and small businesses like I've been taking it on themselves to be supportive of pride which is great but at the same time again it started with the painting of the rainbow crosswalk in Coburg repainting for pride month which was great but then I was subjected to so many comments on various social media platforms just like blatant homophobia lots of people saying that they wanted to destroy the rainbow crosswalk lots of people saying that they were going to do burnouts on it because I don't know why it offends them like a rainbow crosswalk is just really pretty to look at I would like it if all crosswalks were rainbow it's just like nice children really enjoy it because rainbows are pretty like it just looks nice and just seeing all the homophobia in the comments really just made me upset because like every year during pride we deal with homophobia but this year it just seemed to be so much more and so much hatred and just not people just not 
understanding or getting it or and then it just makes me realize or makes me wonder like how much more work do we have to do um what what do you attribute that to i'm not sure so i think what a part is i think because we are a rural community um and there is a common perception that like pride or I'll say quote gayness is something that's celebrated more in urban centers like Toronto or Montreal you know gay people don't exist around here which is not true um because I feel that representation and visibility of the queer community and rural communities like ours is um really important and uh, it would be wonderful for me to see if this message of recognition and acceptance would be spread throughout Northumberland County because that's kind of the first step is visibility um in kind of as a component of community education like it's important for everyone kind of throughout Northumberland County to know that like queer people do exist and live in these communities. We support the local economy, whether it's because we have a business or we are consumers of specific businesses. Um, people like do buy houses here, especially there is a lot of new people coming to the community and it's just really important to know that like queer people kind of exist everywhere and that being blatantly homophobic is not okay. And I guess maybe we're just going to have to spread messages about why it's not like creating just an atmosphere of hatred is not acceptable, especially during pride month. The town of Brighton is looking at creating a rainbow sidewalk. What's your reaction to that news? I think that is a good step. Again, I'm really a big proponent of visibility in communities and i'm sure um brighton there's could be some residents there that might not like it or appreciate it i also see a lot of rhetoric around people thinking it being a huge waste of taxpayer money but i don't understand maybe they don't like i don't think it's it doesn't cost like tens of thousands of dollars uh to paint a rainbow crosswalk um so it's unfortunate that people kind of always go to the negative when they can't see the positive because there could be a few people in Brighton that will see that and then they'll feel much better about themselves and just happy to know that they live in a very like a quite a smaller community but there's representation there for them and that's really what it is the representation is important for people just to feel um acceptance and maybe then they can be more open if they felt like they couldn't be open before our local mp for northumberland peterborough south philip lawrence introduced a petition into the house of commons recently from a local pastor asking to exempt religious leaders and similar organizations from a bill that would ban conversion therapy. And conversion therapy is an attempt to convert someone who is gay into being a heterosexual. What was your reaction to this news? I was appalled. I found out about it recently. Um, there, uh, yeah, I'm really upset. I won't say that I'm surprised uh, knowing his background um, just with a religious affiliations and whatnot. But it's, the again, the rhetoric around uh, 
this bill for conversion therapy is a lot of organizations, especially religious affiliated ones, are are sharing a lot of information that is not true. Um, one thing I saw was that they're trying to say that um, with this bill, that they're going to make private conversations that parents have with their children illegal, which makes no sense because there's no way that can even happen unless every single place in Canada was like bugged. And so they could actually read, like hear your conversations. But um, conversion therapy in and of itself is abusive and um, really detrimental. And there's so many horror stories about it. And a lot of the times it does turn violent and abusive towards the individual who's in conversion therapy. And um, I would like to see, like, I would like to see the criminal code change to include conversion therapy. And I do not believe that there should be religious exemptions from it because, because it is abusive towards LGBTQ people. But how do you balance the p- person's religious freedoms with y- your rights as, as a queer individual? Um, I, I mean, I respect a person's right to be religious, but um, when it infringes on the rights of queer people who might not even have a choice, if, they're, if these are youth, they don't really have a choice whether they can attend this or not, because it's something that their parents want. It might not be something that they want. So I really think it's an, uh, it really comes down to the individual who is in the therapy. And um, it's just, it just really makes me upset because this has been um, a talking point within the queer community for numerous, like for many, many years, because it's been happening pretty much forever and um it's just it's just really upsetting i wish like i i don't understand why it's so important to make someone something that they're not what's next for pflag uh, what's next for PFLAG is I am really excited and looking into starting um, a youth group because I feel that that's a big need in the community. So I'm going to be posting things in the next few weeks in which I would like input from the community, uh, specifically youth, but also from parents as well, just to kind of get a feel for what um, is needed. But I'm thinking of running um, on top of our monthly like meeting anyway, which is inclusive of everybody in all ages. But I think what I've been hearing recently is people are looking specifically for youth groups. Of course, like, yeah, so I'm, I would like to start that. And um, continuing with our meetings, I think once we can meet in person, again, that will be great because another big component of meeting in person is because, again, LGBTQ people are so disadvantaged, whether economically or with housing. We like to provide food uh, at our meetings for people. We like to provide other kind of um, things. We have something called the hassle-free box, which has sometimes it has food in it. It might have gift cards in it. It will have uh, toiletries, like it has menstrual products, uh, condoms, pregnancy tests, anything that might be difficult for people to acquire who might be financially disadvantaged. We have it for people, which again, we haven't been able to do because of COVID, but we like to just provide things that might be difficult to come by. Um, But again, though, as much as I would like 
in-person meetings, I'm going to continue probably doing virtual meetings as well, just because of the accessibility component of that, because it is important to provide services kind of in all facets, just to make sure that everyone um, can access the resources who are able to do that. Ashley O'Neill, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you so much. That was Ashley O'Neill, leader of the Northumberland chapter of PFLAG. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.